Hello and welcome to the Manchester Israel podcast. My name is Stephen Burston. I am your host today and I'm joined by two heavyweight journalists, my two colleagues, Samuel Lucas and Richard Fay. How are you today, Samuel? I'm not bad at all. Thank you, Stephen. How are you? Not too bad at all. It's the same and good to get a few smirks on your faces there with that introduction. Rich, how are you? Yeah, cruiserweight maybe. I don't know. What, I'm, I'm trying to think what I'm, I'm probably better suited to. But uh, yeah, I'm good. Thank you very, very much, Stephen. How about yourself, mate? Yeah, great. As I've just said, a good weekend for me. And obviously it's bank holiday, but we're getting stuck in back into work after the weekend. United won 1-0 on Saturday afternoon down at St Mary's against Southampton. Obviously, Samuel, you were there. Um, I just wanted to get your reactions straight away after the match, really. And I noticed you kind of wrote your, your match report around Varane, who I thought was outstanding at centre-back. So what did you make of his performance? Because it was great to see United get a long overdue clean sheet, wasn't it? I think it was their first away clean sheet since December. Uh, the, the Norwich game, which was quite a fortuitous win. Uh, and I think that was their last game before the, the pandemic. Um, sorry, the uh, COVID swept through the squad and wiped out a couple of games before Christmas. So it's a hell of a long time to go without a clean sheet away from home. First away win on, since February. So six month wait there. But they, they it was a, a win is a win kind of win. Um, that, that was always going to be a more reliable gauge of where they're at, as I said before the game. And they are very much a work in progress. Um, I mean, the, it's, it's not an excuse, but I was quite taken by how bad the pitch was for, for August. You're normally used to these beautifully manicured Premier League pitches, but I'm not too sure what's happened down at Southampton. And it, it didn't, the sprinklers were on as well at one point. So there's not been a hosepipe band there. And as far as United's performance was concerned, defensively, very good. As you say, uh, I thought Varane was immense again, didn't put a foot wrong. Lissandro Martinez benefits from playing alongside him. Terrell Malassia was, was quietly good. Diogo Dallo had a very good impact in the attacking third with the assist. Probably should have had an assist in the first half. He's probably got a little bit better since Ten Hag came in. But the problem was the attack. It was just too individualistic again. The only piece of good collective play that they managed to cobble together was was finished by Bruno Fernandes. And I think four of us were discussing in the press room at half-time about the prospect of, of taking him off, uh, maybe moving Ericsson further forward. Because when Ericsson was on the ball in the first half, that was when they had control and they looked pretty authoritative with the ball. But where he was deeper than Fernandez was he just didn't have enough of the ball and when Fernandez got the ball he, he was just it was like last season um a very regressive half from him Marcus Rashford I think is it's almost as tedious a debate as why does Paul Pogba play well for France and not Man United when people ask you know what is he what what's his best position his best position is the left wing it has been for it probably has been ever since his his, his career first started it's not a difficult question to answer. Um, I just don't really see him as a centre forward. He had his best, he plays best football against Liverpool from the left, moving him back to centre forward. Okay, I think most of us expected it to be an unchanged side once Martial was ruled out. But quite why Ten Hag switched Sancho and Ilanga when they'd done quite well in the first half against Liverpool, or very well, you'd say. I mean, they, they combined for the goal. That, that seemed a little illogical. It wasn't as if they were coming up against eminent fullbacks at Southampton. I know Walker Peters is quite an athletic presence and maybe 
Ten Hag's thinking offers Dallas some protection with with Alanga there, but you, you're going to Southampton. You need to take the game to them more than worry about what Southampton can do to you. So it was, it was a gritty win. It was, I mean, it was a low quality game. I think I think Martinez was always going to have an easier time against this red and white side because Southampton do not have a battering ram. They barely have a striker, to be honest. I mean, they, they spent a bit of money on was it Armstrong from Blackburn last year? And I can't imagine he's even broken double figures for, for goals for them. Shea Adams is is a workhorse of a striker. Occasionally he'll you know cause you cause you a bit of bother, but by and large, United defended quite comfortably. But the fact that they were clinging on for for the win almost as soon as they scored, which was in the 52nd minute, so including added time, it was it was, it was effectively a half that they held on for because I think it was six minutes of added time. Um, it was a it was a bit of a peculiar tactic, and the, the impact subs, apart from Casemiro, didn't didn't really do much either. I thought Ronaldo was was dreadful to be honest. Uh, you know, in keeping with the performances of the other forwards who were on the pitch all day. But as I said, after the start they've had, it's it's a win at all costs time, really. And once the transfer window is closed, maybe when it's the September international break, that might be the time where Ten Hag can maybe look look at ideal, playing in an idealistic way and in a way that he would favour, in a way that United were primarily playing during the pre-season tour before the serious stuff started. I'd agree with all of that. It wasn't exactly a convincing performance, wasn't it? It wasn't exactly a dominating game for United, unfortunately, as we were kind of hoping for after Liverpool. Um, Rich, I want to talk to you about the goal scorer, Bruno Fernandes. Obviously, it was a fantastic strike. Dallo did well to provide that cross and what a finish from the edge of the box, a half volley in the bottom left corner. However, as Samuel kind of just suggested in his answer there, it was a bit of a muddling performance from Fernandes. I don't think he was exactly brilliant during the game. Um, I kind of want to ask, is he still got something to prove in a three-man midfield? Because obviously, we know when he came to the club, he was outstanding in that number 10 position and he's given a bit more freedom to Rome. Can he really excel and return to his best in that three-man midfield, do you think? For me, it was a classic Bruno Fernandes performance. It was poor and it was masked by a brilliant goal. That's basically what he does. And the whole sort of issue of Bruno Fernandes is that his game is played taking risks and, and gambling. And sometimes they're educated risks. Sometimes they are just punts upfield and, and, and it pays off. But when you've got a player whose entire game is about rolling the dice, it means that your game plan can't be very structured because you're relying on a moment of brilliance or just something for him to create for, for for it to go to plan so when the plan is that you don't really have a plan it's just a gamble you know that sort of sums up where united were and they could afford to do that when he was this main attacking outlet the only player they had who, who could do that but now you've got ericsson you can be more measured you can sort of methodically break a team down rather than just just taking this risk so you know t- to be honest if i was picking my sort of best most effective reliable 11 it would be a midfield free of Casemiro, maybe Fred and Ericsson. For me, that is the most complimentary as a trio. But like we said, Fernandez can do stuff that no one else can. And, you know, he is that sort of luxury play he can have in there. And maybe a team that doesn't have Ronaldo in it can compensate for that. But I think if you're trying to play the percentages and go for for your most reliable sort of side, then Fernandez probably isn't in it just because, you know, he is so inconsistent. And and when he does do something, it, it's usually against the run of play or pulling the rabbit out of the hat. 
he does have something to prove. I thought he was excellent against Liverpool. He really, you know, stood up, had the captain's armband on rightfully, and you know, he was excellent. He should have had an assist early on when Alanga hit the post, and he was at the heart of everything United did. And it was a, a timely performance for him because he has been so poor since he signed that new contract. But look, United fans love him. I think he does sort of divide the fan base a lot. He's, you know, he was when in the Liverpool game in particular, he was already on a yellow card. And he made a made a point of not giving the ball back, getting into sort of arguments he didn't need to. And he could easily have got a second yellow for descent. And, you know, if United have 10 men then, then it could all sort of fall into chaos. But that's what he offers, isn't it? It's that tenacity. And, and when things are going well, you love it. It's similar to that Richarlison step-ups, uh, keep-ups we saw in the Forest game. You know, if he's on your team and you're winning, you, you kind of love that, don't you? I remember when Nani did that, was it the seal dribble against Arsenal? And he got hacked down yes. and people were saying that he was ruining the game, whatever. But if he's on your team and you're winning, you love it, don't you? And I think that's sort of something... You, you especially, up. Rich. You especially. I yeah, can well, I see a lot of myself that. in that. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think that when... Um, that sums fans up, doesn't it? When United are winning, you love him because he's usually done something well and he's he's at the heart of it. But when United aren't playing well, he's an easy culprit because he does take these risks and when they don't pay off and when United are chasing a game and he tries one of these Hollywood passes and it goes out of play, he's so infuriating. But to be honest, I, I don't think he will be dropped because, you know, it, it, in the first four games of the season, he's been there pre-season. He was a big part of everything Ten Hag did. But at least there's a, a viable alternative now in Ericsson, which I think is a relief. And it means that the workload on... Fernandez's point of view is eased a bit and it also means that, look, if you're not performing, there's a valid excuse now that someone else can come in. Samuel, we've talked about that front three there with your first answer and Sancho, Rashford and Langer, who obviously started again against Southampton. I think they were fantastic against Liverpool on Monday night. Um, they were fluid, they were kind of interchangeable and they were linked up really well and, you know, on the counter-attack, they really looked dangerous. Um, but as you've just kind of said, they did kind of regress on the weekend and I think particularly uh, Langer was quite disappointed, wasn't he? Um, would you agree that at this stage of his career, he probably should not have such a prominent role in that first team? I would. I've I've never been, I've never looked at him in the academy side and thought, well, he's he's a certainty to make it. Uh, his his skill set absolutely demands to be promoted to the first team or anything like that. I think there's there's been an element of him being in the right place at the right time, and that his first manager was. A fellow Scandinavian and then unfortunately when he was being dealt by that manager he realised that he was actually quite an indecisive manager and you go back to last summer Elanga had a pretty good pre-season and everyone's thinking okay is he in the squad or is he going on loan and neither happened he was just pretty much back in the reserves and then he, he trained really well in that first session under Ralph Rangnick. Rangnick took a shine to him. He did well in his first game and he was Rangnick's academy legacy. It, it feels like, well, not feels like, I mean, every United manager since Ferguson has had an academy legacy of some sorts. Moyes had Yanazai, Van Gaal, it was Lingard and Rashford, Mourinho, it was McTominay, Solskjaer, you'd, you'd probably have to say Mason Greenwood um, because of the way he played under him. And in Rangnick's case, it was Ilanga. So it's that, that bodes well for uh, the, the academy with, with Ten Hag now in charge. But he is he just does seem quite limited. And I don't say that as... I, I don't think that's a massive negative at this stage of his career. He's, he's only 20 years of age, but he does look like a player who has not scored since February. And if you're playing in a team that the manager has 
with with some you know, justification decided to drop the most dependable goal scorer you've you've got to take your chances there is more pressure on you to take your chances than there were would ordinarily be if if Ronaldo was on the pitch and he should have put it away against Liverpool Allison's dive in one way everybody knew where the ball had to go and he, he put it against the post and he had a great chance at the weekend against Southampton again at nil nil he didn't take his chance he's not scored since the Atletico game in February so he's gone six months without a goal now which for, for a Manchester United forward, whatever you're standing, that, that is never a good look. And particularly if you're a player who uh, is playing as, as prominently as Langer is. And the pity for him going back to that Atletico goal was obviously there was a lot of fanfare about him after that because he'd also scored in the previous game against Leeds. And at the weekend, they had Watford at home. And it was by far and away the best he has played as a starter for United. But when the chance presented itself, it was a lovely back heel from Pogba in the second half. He put it wide and United drew the game nil-nil. So you've dropped points and you're brought crashing back down to earth after the euphoria of scoring an equaliser against against Atletico Madrid, who were the champions of Spain at the time, I think. And it's almost as if he's he's still stuck in that mindset, it's as if as if those events are still playing in his mind a bit, because I'm struggling to think of um, an opportunity where he's, he's been unlucky. And really, in fairness to him, this season, he is getting chances, which, as the cliche goes, you know, if you're a forward and they're getting chances, you're not worried about that because you know it will come. But you can't say that for certainty with him. He, he's not he's not a striker. He's, he's another one of these right-footed left-wingers that United seem to have... You know, a whole dressing room of uh, they've they've got four who've who've played their best football from the, for the club from there. Uh, Alejandro Garnacho is has been getting in United squads on the strength of his his performance against Vallecano, where of course he played on on the left side of attack, and he's another right footer who's who's only eighteen. And there's already been sections of the fan base suggesting that Garnacho should be getting more more opportunities than Langer. Elanga is a useful squad player, but he, he does highlight that lack of uh, proven quality and depth that they, 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 they just don't have up top, which is why, of course, in the case of Anthony, I mean, when you pay that amount of money for, for a player like that, he's not going on the bench. He's going to be starting. So that, take, that occupies one of those roles, and they did need a left footer uh, to balance out that attack. So, I mean, I don't think there was ever a point where Alanga's looked likely to go on loan, but sometimes strange things happen in, in a transfer window. I mean, Daniel James was starting for United one day la- late last August, and then two days later he was at Ellen Road being paraded as, as a Leeds United player. I don't Somehow I don't think that's going to happen with, with Anthony Alanga, but he, I suppose he has suffered from being overexposed too quickly when... It might have been more beneficial if the club was in a steady and stable uh, way to have to have got him a loan move last year and allowed him to develop for a year in the championship and then come back. But sometimes it doesn't work that way. And look, I don't think he would really he would change his career path because ultimately he spent a good six or seven months last season playing quite quite prominently for United. 
it was a brave decision to to start at Langer Rich against Liverpool. Um, obviously, in Ten Hag kind of stuck with that front three against Southampton. He explained that he wanted to give his trust in those players that performed in the, the open for 45 minutes. Well, that obviously meant that you sang Casemiro was on the bench. And I noticed actually in our panel ahead of the game, me and Samuel had Casemiro at uh, the base in midfield. And you didn't have Casemiro. So I, was, I was a bit surprised that, Rich. So were you surprised? Obviously not, I kind of guess, when you saw the team news come out. And do you think he's got to start in the next game straight away? Would you put him in that midfield? Yeah, I think I just went for the exact same lineup because that's just what I thought would happen. Like I, I, I wanted Casemiro to start maybe because I think he, you know, there's the excuse that he needs to get up to speed, I just don't buy. He's had a full preseason in Real Madrid. He played in the Super Cup. Uh, his sort of role in the team anyway, he's used to the physicality. Yes, the Premier League is regarded as a tougher league, but I, th- I think he could have gone straight in there. And yeah, I, I don't get why he didn't, but I, I expected Ten Hag to go for the same team just because consistency is such a big thing for United. And after you've lost your first two games, you've brought it back with Liverpool. But if United would have dropped points against Southampton, that Liverpool win has suddenly tainted a bit and it doesn't look as impressive because it counts for very little. And I think that Ten Hag was always going to go for consistency just to get that sort of momentum built up. And yeah, that meant that Casemiro would come off the bench. It worked worked perfectly for Ten Hag, didn't it? Because he got the win and he got new minutes into his signing and it means he can go into the team uh, this week against against Leicester and then against Arsenal as well. And teams that do traditionally have a, a sort of holding midfielder themselves so he can go face-to-face with them. United can match those two teams up stylistically as well. Yeah, I think that he will start. I think he will now. He's up to speed. There's no excuse not to. McTominay's been okay. Like I said, that maybe in my preferred 11, someone else would drop out and you could have Casemiro and someone else playing that sort of more sort of number six role. But... I'm not sure that will happen. Uh, yeah, but there's no excuse not to start him, is there? I mean, that's all you can say. You've just got to wait for the team news to drop now on, on Thursday and see what actually happens. But you spent that much money on him. He's come here for, for a reason. That's because he wants to be playing games. He wants to be winning trophies with United. Okay, that might not happen. But I think that everyone that, that sort of arrived has a right to, to say they should be starting, and particularly Casemiro. United have been crying out for a defensive midfielder all this time. Now you've got to now you've got one, you've got to play him. So yeah, I, I think it won't be long before he makes his way into the sort of preferred eleven as well. It'd be good to see him get two starts this week and, and finally gauge just just how good he is, really. I mean, we've seen what a difference having one Galactico from last summer has had to United since Rafa Varane settled in, he is just a class above any other defender they've got. So I think the same will be with Casemiro. He might not have a long shelf life at the club, but for two or three seasons. You know, he, he is going to be their out-and-out defensive midfielder. He only played for 10 minutes, but I think his, his little cameo was quite impressive, actually. Uh, it was quite an eye-catcher. I thought it's very promising going forward. And big was exciting watching him play. Yeah. Um, Samuel, yeah. last question about the game, then. I kind of want to ask you about um, the Hayes distribution. I know it's something we've talked about lots, and he was outstanding last season in the shot stopper. But I guess it's been highlighted um, a bit more this weekend with Dean Henderson producing a pretty solid performance. I obviously conceded two goals, but saved Harry Kane's penalty and whatnot against Tottenham for Nottingham Forest. Um, obviously, De Gea is now in the final year of his contract. United obviously have an option to add another year to that. Um, Henderson was contracted until 2025. We've talked about this issue so much, and I think that's why I kind of Rich just laughed slightly there, because it is a bit tedious now. But potentially, <laughs> I'm still going to ask the question, is this De Gea's move last year at the club? Could you see it going like that? We, we had this discussion uh, coming back in the, strangely, provided he does not have a good season, it would make some sense to let him go 
before before that plus mm. one option just ignore the plus one option and release him because he's he's unsellable in in an in an eminent way if you like in that he's on 375 grand a week is there going to be a market out there for a club to sign david de gea next summer things could change obviously and that's that's beauty of, of football these what we're discussing at the moment might look daft in a month's time never mind six months time but you've got to be preparing for scenarios next summer if you're a properly run football club now we've discovered with Man united that they're not so i wouldn't have much faith in them doing that unless something drastic changes but if you're if you're john murter or if you're, you know, if, if the recruitment department have stopped being like Rip Van Winkle and been woken up from their slumber because they've not been needed this summer because everybody, Eric Ten Hag says, just get me players from the Eredivisie and that they, they can go on sabbatical for about five months. But you've got to be having a plan of action going forward. The, the prospect of them signing, eventually signing Martin Dubravka, having looked at him in January, I think is just absolutely ridiculous because. They would then have, if they do sign him, four goalkeepers on their books who were Premier League number ones just just under three years ago. In 2019-20, De Gea was number one at United. Henderson was number one at Sheffield United. Heaton at Villa. Dubravka at Newcastle. That is absolutely ridiculous. It's It, it would just be the most ludicrous planning you could imagine. And there, there are these things that come out. Oh, we, you know, like a goalkeeper to compete with David. Well, you have got one, but he's at Nottingham Forest. And let's face it, those two keepers, De Gea and Henderson, were not going to be part of the squad this season because the previous manager, permanent manager, couldn't make a decision there. There, there was mitigation, as we've covered before, with Co- Henderson getting COVID and being laid low. Um, but and, and he obviously felt wronged that Solskjaer didn't keep good to his word because De Gea started the season quite well. That, that was probably the worst thing that could have happened for Solskjaer in, in, in that situation was that De Gea actually played well in the first few games of last season and, and certainly saved United some points in in that Wolves win in late August. So he, he, couldn't, he couldn't drop him for Henderson. But th- there are some very key questions to be answered, one of which is, has Dean Henson well and truly burned his bridges at United? Uh, Ten Hag has not met him. Uh, Ten Hag has not seen him train in front of him. But Ten Hag was certainly receptive to having him on loan at Ajax last season. And objectively, which goalkeeper is more aligned with the way Ten Hag wants to play? Is it De Gea or Henderson? It is Henderson. But you just knew that Ten Hag was going to preserve the status quo there and and keep De Gea as the goalkeeper because he did have a good season last season. But it is starting to become noticeable to matchgoers that when De Gea gets the ball, he's not just slowing down certain possible attacks, he's killing them stone dead because he's doubting himself whether he can find the man with with the pass or or even the throw. Um, There was an occasion on, on Saturday where... It was Sancho's breaking out to his left. And it looked like quite a simple throw. There wasn't a fallback heron towards Sancho. He had a decent amount of, of, of space. It just seemed quite routine. De Gea hesitated. The crowd noticed the hesitation because the away fans were right behind him. And there was an audible exasperation uh, from them. So th- that's, that's going to be a recurring theme this season. And unfortunately, unlike last season for De Gea, 
he has not started this season well. Um, they, they got the clean sheet at the weekend. He, he made a relatively routine save. It, it wasn't a, 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 a standout performance from him. So he's he's going to be under scrutiny for for pretty much the whole season uh, because because of the way Ten Hag wants to play, because of the impression Henderson has already made at Forest, where he saved two penalties. He's also been caught out for a couple of goals as well. I, I even thought Damari Gray's equaliser. Henderson gets caught in no man's land there with his eagerness to come off his line, which, as we've discussed before, that is a symptom of him trying to distance himself from De Gea. He knows De Gea's got this reputation for being rooted to his line, so he wants to be the extreme opposite, and sometimes it's better to keep your powder dry. But Henderson's getting attention, uh, and rightly so. He's made a, a pretty reasonable start at Forest. He's easily one of England's three best goalkeepers. He, he should absolutely be going to the World Cup. It, it might not be as simple as that because Pope has started the season well. Ramsdale's doing well with Arsenal and uh, uh, Jordan Pickford, although in some ways he's possibly the weakest of the keepers. He's banked plenty of credits with Gareth Southgate to remain England's number one at the World Cup. And I don't think any of us expect him uh, to be on the bench for, for England's first group game. So, it's it's one of those situations that you could be writing a different piece on the goalkeeper situation at United every month just because of how how changeable uh, it is. But I do think that there's a very good chance that they will need a new long-term goalkeeper next year. Going back to Henderson, obviously, Sam, you said he's perhaps burnt his bridges. I'm not sure if you both agree, but I don't feel that interview was too strong that he can't come back from it. Do you know what I mean? Obviously, it was a bit controversial. He spoke, honestly, it was a bit candid, but... I think he can come back from that. Obviously, fans have been a bit frustrated having the rough the comments, and understandably so, but I don't see it as the end of the world anyway, personally. Um, we'll move on to some transfer news and gents. There's plenty to get stuck into. Um, obviously, we'll start with the big story of the day, or the last few days, and that's Anthony from Ajax. Obviously, United are edging closer to that deal for £85 million or a fee in that region. Rich, what's been your reaction, really, to that deal? Because that's a hell of a lot of money to play to pay for a player from the Dutch First Division, isn't it? It's Yeah, it's an obscene amount, but... But we've said this on, on quite a few podcasts. Ten Hag wants him. You've got to back him, haven't you, really, this summer? Because they've they've already done so. They've set that precedent, and they have to give their new manager the backing that they said they would when they hired him. You know, they said that they wanted to change in the transfer market. They didn't want to repeat the mistakes of old, where they were burning through money and wasting it. And if Ten Hag sees him as a player and a personality who is worth that fee, and adds to his team, addresses a long term problem, gives United half a decade to a decade of service then you can almost break it down and say yeah that you know the ends justify the means really if he comes in united's attack is better they go on challenge for a trophy get back into the top four he's already stopped to repay some of that price tag and you know in modern football there's always gonna be that debate isn't there about well it's united's money the fans don't need to worry about it too much because they're not the ones who are forking out you know 85 million pounds for him but it is a huge amount of money for someone who's come from the early divise and you look then at United's front three, even if you put Rashford in there, you've got Sancho, 73 million. You'll have Anthony, 85 million. That's, what, £160 million pounds just shy of, of wingers? That has to be a world-class strike force. You have to be getting results. And if anything, it just puts even more pressure on Ten Hag because it's his call. It's his player, someone he knows well, who's coming to the Premier League. Like Samuel said, he has to start because that is a ridiculous amount of money. And if he doesn't hit the ground running, there'll be so much, you know, pressure on him to to do so. But when I look at Anthony, 
is he more impressive than Memphis Depay was at PSV? I'm not sure he is. I think he's probably performing at a similar level that, that Memphis was when United signed him. And that was Louis van Gaal, you know, backing his player to come good. And he didn't come good, but he didn't come good for a far lower fee than Anthony. But, you know, you can't stop preparing him before he's even put on the United shirt yet. You've got to give him all the credit. You've got to give him a, a, a time to adapt because, you know, that is just fair on any new signing. But there's going to be so much pressure. And when you've seen what the two biggest rivals have done, you know, United wanted Nunes, he's gone to Liverpool. They wanted Haaland, he's gone to City. They've both started really well at their new clubs. So if you're spending, you know, this much money on Anthony, he's got to got to be sort of in that bracket. I know he isn't the same sort of player as those two, but you've got to be expecting him to hit the ground running. And like we said, for that fee, there can't be much mitigation to it. You can't be writing why he's been so slow to adapt because it's just enormous, enormous money. And the mm. other factor is that, you know, he's 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 got other options at the club that he's been overlooking. So, yeah, there's a, it's just a lot of faith in Ten Hag. For me, like I said, the fee is astronomical, but if it, if United were to go on and, and, and achieve their goals, then you've got to say that it's at least to a degree being repaid. Samuel, obviously, there has been progress this weekend uh, with the deal. Um, when do you kind of expect, if everything goes well, that this week it could be announced? And also, more speaking more broadly, how would you kind of analyse and assess United's business in the transfer window this summer? I hate hate timeframes. It's it's absolutely <laughs> uh, you 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 get yourself into if anyone goes down that Big road, pickle. they get themselves yeah. into a pickle, as you say. Uh, that that deal will, barring you know something drastic happening, it will get done. Um, it's it's actually become quite tedious now just writing about him uh, going from the start of July where United were actually doubting it and then magically they have a couple of bad defeats and there are these immense funds that are made available for a squad that absolutely needs immense funds uh, you know, being pumped into it. Uh, I mean, I, I suppose, well, I, I, he won't he won't start at Leicester if, if he was to be signed in time for that. I mean, it would be the classic case of if he is there, then he'll probably be on the bench. But it's it's a strange one in terms of assessing their their overall window because two two weeks ago it was just shambolic and disastrous. Mm. You couldn't put a positive spin on it whatsoever. And I still think that people need to have a bit of perspective. Malasia and Martinez have, have had two good games in succession, which is positive. Um, those those are forward steps. They are also two games in August uh, for Man United uh, playing well. I mean, you know, it's it's not enough to put up the bunting. There's there's still quite a long way to go with those two. Daniel James started well in August. Exactly, and and that's 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 probably the best example of it post. Transfer window 2019, the feeling was that they'd actually bought well in James, Wambasaka, and Maguire. Now, those three players, uh, if we're going off Gary Neville's traffic light system, are all in the red. Rich may put up a case for, for Daniel James being in the amber. I saw some other uh, Welsh fans uh, a little bit disgruntled <laughs> about his, his status as, as, as being in the red, but he. He started well, and after that, he just looked like a championship player. So it's, it's quite peculiar that he's been linked with Tottenham. Although what I would say for him is that I could I could see a function for him as a right wing back in, in Conte's side. Though I would imagine there are better options out there for them. So if the if the window does end with uh, Martinez, Malasia, Eriksson, Casemiro, and Anthony, 
the, the perverse thing is that amid all the you know it's, it's not an inconvenient truth i'd say but it's it's going to be a summer where they shattered their record for for signings for the first time ever they are they're going well north of, of 200 million pounds in the summer transfer window for spending i don't think they've quite gone over 150 million pounds ever in a transfer window before so if you if someone told you at the start of the summer united can spend well over 200 million pounds this summer you'd think okay they're, they're probably going to sign some serious players there but the way they've gone about it and the manner of it is dubious that that cannot be disputed when you're signing uh, two players from Ajax, one player from Feyenoord, uh, one player who trained with Ajax at the start of the year. That is a strange way of going about a squad rebuild. And I get it. You've got a new manager in. You want to back the manager. That's completely, you know, that, that is the preferred way of going about it. But you can't be blind to some of the realities there. If, I mean, Casemiro, it came out of the blue. It was it wasn't a case of United just flying to Madrid on the Tuesday and he was signed by the Friday. I mean, I know that's the way it appears because it, 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 the interest in him did, it did emerge on that Tuesday after the Brentford game, but the contact had been made a long time before then because that's how transfers work. But United and Casemiro's camp managed to keep it um, quite discreet at that point. And the fact that it was kept discreet and private for as long as it did would probably also indicate that Casemiro never had any intention of trying to use United as a bargaining chip like other players have. It wasn't played out publicly. So that probably did embolden United to continue down the line with him and then eventually decide to, to make a move for him. And he he should be a good player, but their recent history suggests that there is every reason that that deal could go wrong. United really need that deal to work, but he, he's a player that is absolutely what they need. They should have been pursuing him for 100 days uh, publicly rather than Frankie de Jong. But I, I still just feel that it's, it's still too, too early to judge, but a properly run football club would not be running the way United have been in the transfer window. The, the football director clearly does not pull rank. It's just a case of the manager gives his wish list. They go from there. You, you cannot be certain that that is going to succeed. You look at the way... Liverpool recruited with with Klopp there. They didn't just go to Germany and sign players from there. Mane came from Southampton. Salah came uh, from from Roma. Uh, Van Dijk came from Southampton as well. And I know they had a habit of signing Southampton players, um, which which was maybe flawed to some extent. But the way they recruited, Joel Matic came from Schalke, didn't he? Uh, they didn't just go to the Bundesliga because Klopp coached out there. Uh, they did cast the net a little bit wider than that and they were um, a little more, well, not a little more, they were far more strategic and, and thorough in, in going about signing players. So, look, if it works for United and United become a success with these players and they become a force again, then you have to say they got it right in backing the manager. But they are operating the way Sir Alex Ferguson was operating and that was, that, that was nearly 10 years ago and there were very few football clubs that operate like that anymore because it's been proven that if you've got a sporting director or director of football who's clued up, who's proactive and backed by a good recruitment department, you can recruit well um, and you can recruit in a way that you're consistent with the profile of player you want. And I think 
I think that there should be a profile of Manchester United player that United settle on and they go through their searches and they whittle down their list to players per position who suit what United want um, from, from their players. But they've not gone down uh, down that route clearly this summer and it is a risk. Uh, it's a lot of pressure on those players and particularly the manager. So they really need it to work. And as the window's just about to close, they've got themselves into a much better place than they were um, at the start of the month or mid-August where it, it was it was an shambles. So uh, I think the write-ups post-deadline day as it stands are due to be, you know, quite quite a, a lot more positive than when when they were first being drafted up, I would imagine. I think a story that always stands out to me is that um, Jurgen Klopp famously didn't want Salah, did he? And yeah. Michael Edwards pushed that deal through and look how that's worked out. It's been so successful. I think Mertha might have uh, posters of uh, Edwards on his wall at this stage in his, uh, his bedroom. Um, but Richard, if we steer some transfer news then, we go look at some departures. Um, obviously, you've wrote two lines on Hannibal and Ahmed today. You were rushing around before we came on there, giving the, giving the supporters the latest on those deals. So can you just give her an update on that, really, and what's happening? Because is it Birmingham? I'm sorry, I'm right in saying that coming in for Hannibal. Yeah, that should be done today. Maybe by the time people listen to this podcast, Hannibal should be Birmingham for the season. He's been offered a new contract at United as well as part of it, but he's not agreed to that yet. So he's going to go out on loan without signing a new deal. Um, he's, he is contracted till 2024 at the moment with the option of, of another year. So the club are quite relaxed on that. I think maybe from Hannibal's point of view, he just wants some guarantee about you know, part of his playing time if he's going to sign a new contract and you know if he went to the championship and there was more interest from other clubs that the power would be in his hands rather than, than at the club could be at the club's mercy so I understand it from Hannibal's point of view and you know it's, it's in United's interest to try and get anyone who goes out on loan agreed to it to new terms I think they did the same with Alvaro Fernandez because you know if, if they have a good loan spell they come back to United and they're still contracted for a long time so it does work to, to United as the parent club's benefit um, Ahmad he he's available to go out on loan and the deal to get Anthony is only going to amplify that really. United, you know, Ten Hag said and, and knows that he, he's in need of a, a proper left footer up front who can bring that balance and creativity to attack. So it says a lot that, you know, Ahmad's not really in his thinking and it's the same for Tief Chong as well. Birmingham, uh, interested in him but I'm told there's nothing advanced at this stage but before deadline day these things can move quickly so Hannibal definitely out on low and Ahmad and Chong both got interested and like I said the fact they're both left-footed right wingers and their surplus to requirements shows that you know Anthony's coming in to be that starter and once he does come in there's got to be even less need really I think if anything the backup right winger is probably Sancho you know just switch him to the other flank you could yeah, said put Alanga there as well so yeah it's Big seasons now for Ahmad and Chong. I mean, Chong's out of contract at, at the end of next season, so expect that to be a permanent sale if, if anything does happen on him. But Ahmad, again, if you throw him into the mix, that is almost 200 million on right wingers in the last three seasons now, two years now, if you put Pelestri yeah. in there as well. So United have to get it right. They have to get it right. And I guess that's the other... Talk about Anthony earlier, that is the... Maybe the gripe United fans will have it's they've already got forty-five million pounds of right winger there in Palestri and Ahmad. They seem to have just been cast aside and sort of just write them off almost. And then you've got Sancho, who's a right winger, who's probably going to play on the left again. So Anthony might come as a right winger, but is there a guarantee he'll actually play there? Who knows? If United, they're the only team that could spend two hundred million on them and and not make it work. But yeah, Hannibal to Birmingham, interesting one. United keen for him to get sort of proper taste of 
English football as well, because if he went into the first team, that's that's where he'd be playing. It's why they loaned Ahmad out to, to Rangers in January, because they wanted him to get a taste of British football in case for when he came back to United, that didn't work out. But yeah, I think lots of fans will be tuning in to, to any Birmingham games on TV just to see how he gets on, and particularly an extra reason if, if Chong ends up there as well. I'm right in saying I think Benji's there as well, isn't he? So United have obviously struck up a good relationship uh, with Birmingham uh, for transfers. Yeah, he's there last season. Um, sorry, last season, injured, yeah. Yeah, yeah, injured at the moment, for which I think's delayed him going out. Him and Dijon Bernard yeah. both had sort of setbacks, I think. So they're ones you can watch that, that might happen, but but nothing at this stage. So what you're telling us, Rich, we're going to have thousands of United fans watching Birmingham that we can up with. Uh, the game falls <laughs> on a Saturday afternoon. I'm sure they'll be thrilled to watch a game at St Andrews. Um, Samuel, obviously you wrote the line on Matt, Matt O'Reilly, um, who was at MK Dons, if we're sticking with the football pyramid. He was at League One uh, last season, joined Celtic in January. Can you kind of give uh, the listeners a bit of background on that deal? Or oh, sorry, not a deal. Uh, just come along and United scouts looking at him. I, I don't think... I've not received any indication that anything is imminent yeah. on that. He's just a player of interest to them, as as we've seen before. They, I mean, I think Rich wrote the line in, in the feature, which was pretty, pretty symptomatic of of United's operations. That they had two scouts at the same game once who bumped into each other um, there to scout the same players. So. Hopefully that's not the case with Matt O'Reilly, but he, he, he seems like a, a good, good character, good personality. He's he's had a good career development over the last year, in particular going from League One with MK Dons to cementing his place in Celtic's team. Which okay, it's, it's a Scottish Premiership, but he's about to have enviable exposure in the Champions League, playing against Real Madrid, RB Leipzig, Shakhtar Donetsk. Uh, there's, there's all, you could argue that Chelsea, that, that Celtic have got an outside chance of, of getting through that group if they if they get their home form right and pick up the odd away win there. I, I don't think it's necessarily a certainty that they'll they'll finish bottom of that group as is as is often the case when they're in the Champions League group stage. But it's a it's a great platform for him to um, to get that added exposure. And it's in, interestingly, he's he switched international allegiances. He, 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 got caps for for England at youth level and he was born in London but because of some Danish ancestry on his mother's side he switched to playing for Denmark and he he made his under 21 debut in March so um, who's to say he doesn't somehow get it you know force his way into the Denmark squad for for the World Cup so again that would that really cap a, a pretty stratospheric but but quiet rise of a player's career going from League One to the World Cup within a year with with the transfer to to a very big club in between but I, I would as it stands at the moment as we're, and, and as we're speaking now I'd be surprised if there's any movement with him on, on deadline day uh, involving United Last question then Rich on the transfer news just to end the podcast I saw uh, there's footage of Frankie de Jong flying into London today and uh, supporters went crazy but he was just coming in for leisure purposes with his partner also obviously Ronaldo was benched at the weekend these are obviously big talking points we've talked about all, week, all summer sorry um, transfer window shuts on Thursday night. What are your expectations? Can't wait. With, with those yeah, what are your expectations going yeah. into that? Uh, I mean, like we said, Anthony will come in. I still think there'll be one more after that. I think United will get two, including Anthony before deadline day. They've got to learn how to get rid of players, haven't they? I mean, for all this talk of change this summer has been embarrassing in terms of how many squad players United still have. I know loads of them are sort of asterisks with the fact they're injured and you can't really get rid of them. I know Ten Hag spoke last week about Twan Zabie, Jones and, and Williams in, in that degree, but you'd hope United can can get some more players out on loan as well because, like we said, the, the, how has it taken this long for Hannibal to go out on loan? He should already have 
a handful of games under his belt. I think, what, they played five or six games in the championship. There's no excuses there whatsoever. You look at the goalkeepers as well. Kovar and Bishop were both told they could go on loan. They're both been kept far longer they needed to. United just need to start getting rid of players properly and, and, and just be ruthless again because for all this talk of they could sell players, they just need to do it. I mean, there's probably whispers about wan could go before deadline day. Just take the loss, except he's not going to make it. Get rid of him because what good is it having him moping on the bench for, for the season? There's just no need. And, and for his own sake, he needs to go and just get playing football again. Yeah, okay, if that's a loan, get, get him out on loan. But just you need to be getting rid of these players who clearly don't fit the mould and have little purpose to make. And again, we've spoken in the past about United being like a like a toddler. They get greedy when a team shows interest in any fringe player. Don't keep a player and say, oh, we need to keep him for the Europa League. There's no point. You've got all these great young players. You've got other players who can play out of position if they need to. You don't need to be keeping players just for them to play in the cup games and be on the fringes. So, yeah, I'm just hoping for deadline day, United can, can get rid of some more of these players who literally have such such little purpose to offer the team this season. Such as Rich's celebrity status these days. I think he was clipped up last time he used that toddler. He that was. He was. Rightly <laughs> so as well. If I remember correctly. Yeah. Um, I think we'll just leave it there then, guys. Thanks for your time. Thank you, Samuel. Thank you, Stephen. And thank you, Rich. Thank you very much. And thanks as usual for listening. Take care.